Can a baby make a trust? That's literally the question that I received. Well, a baby cannot make a trust, but you can make a trust for the baby. A baby can be the beneficiary of a trust. A child of any age can be the beneficiary of a trust. Now, if you are going to uh, leave money or property, uh, assets of a trust to a minor child, anyone under the age of 18, I suggest to you that you should have a guardian and someone in charge of the money for this child. Often enough, 18 years old, although an adult in the eyes of the law, is still too young. 21 is a date, uh, I'm sorry, is a, an age that we've used quite often in the past. In more mo modern times, I often enough use the uh, age of 25. So, I'll give an example. Uh, X dollars is going to be left to this person. Upon the death of the maker of the trust, that person that was to receive the X dollars in this example is 14 years old or four months old in the baby example. Doesn't make sense for that person to receive money. They cannot actually inherit that money until they're over 18 legally. The alternate approach would be to have that money held in trust with the naming of a trustee holding the money uh, or interest for the benefit of that child. So. I was preparing my newsletter for next week and the topic was uh, in response to a question I received, can I use a special needs trust to safeguard the assets of my disabled child? So the answer is yes. The special needs trust is a perfect vehicle to permit a person in need of government benefits and, and is in a program, right? It, it permits that person to stay on the government benefits and any inheritance, any money that may come their way can be set, uh, set aside and held in this special needs trust. It really is a, um, a, a very useful vehicle for that. There are certain rules as to what's permissible, what can be spent, what, what the funds inside of the special needs trust can be used for, but it really is, um, it hits the spot. It's something, <laughs> something beneficial and useful. And the answer to the question was, yes, you can do that. Met with a client today that's the owner of several pieces of property with his wife and with his brother, right, separately. He owns a couple of pieces of property, two brothers. He owns a couple of pieces of property with his wife. And we discussed preparing a trust, probably an irrevocable trust. And what we're going to do is 
the property that he owns with his wife will ultimately be funded into the trust that we create. It'll be husband and wife, right? husband and wife deed to the irrevocable trust. But what we discussed on the property that he owns with his sibling, just going to call them A and B. A and B own a property, siblings. The person I'm speaking to is A, and the sibling is B, right? You get the, uh, the setup. A, we're going to deed out, and he'd like his sibling to also get a trust for the benefits that come along with a trust. But it would be A and B to the trust of A and the trust of B, and they'll still own those properties 50-50. That's a possibility. And in the arena of the irrevocable trust, what we like to do by convention and case law and best practices, we make someone other than the grantor the trustee. And in this, in this instance, it could be that the brothers will switch roles. Each brother could be the trustee of the other brother's trust. It's only one of many possible scenarios. I had a trust signing today, and uh, it was a, uh, a, a single woman. Her husband had passed away, and she has two children and one grandchild. And the particular method that my client wanted to distribute uh, assets in the future is one-third to her two children, a third and a third, and one third to her grandchild. That's uh, a planning scheme that I don't often see, but you can distribute your assets in any way that you want. All you have to do is let me know and we accomplish your desires, interests, thoughts, beliefs, I convert it into the written word uh, and the specific article in the trust. And along with this, I do have in there a um, an article about should any of the beneficiaries of this trust have special needs and no one among this grouping has any special needs now, but in the future, I have a definition of what might be included in, uh, you know, for a person that, that might be on government benefits or accessing Medicaid or some other future program. I have within my trust that it will be uh, protected and safeguarded. Uh, for their benefit. And uh, one, I mean, there's, there's many things in this trust, but one other thing that I wanted to highlight is that the grandchild is presently an adult, but a young adult. And in the event that something should happen to my grandor, the person that made the trust, we're going to hold aside the one-third uh, of assets for the grandchild until the grandchild hits the age of 27. That's a date and an age 
It's not a date. It's an age that my client picked. If I have someone, uh, a grandchild or a, a minor child that's six, seven, eight, nine, you know, whatever age, but a young age, I'll typically see 25. You become an adult 18, you're allowed to receive uh, your, uh, the specific, your specific bequest when you turn 18 because you're an adult. And in this instance, 27 afforded us enough time to have the grandchild get sufficient maturity in the future, right? That's the hope. The hope is that we don't need to uh, distribute to the grandchild until the grandchild is 47 or 67, right? We want the grandchild to have a long and healthy life. Let's talk about asset protection. Oftentimes, clients want asset protection, maybe all the time people want asset protection, but they don't know how to ask. They don't know how to protect their assets. And sometimes they don't even think about why assets should be protected. So asset protection can be obtained by legally permissibly taking the assets that you have that are exposed to creditors, right? There's, there's an expression, creditors, predators, the government, taxes. I don't know if that's an expression in your common world, but creditors and predators, maybe because they, in some half-ass, ah-ass, half-ass way, they, they rhyme. But you can take the assets that you have and place them inside of a certain vehicle. That vehicle is an irrevocable trust. It begins with an I irrevocable trust, an unrevocable trust, an irrevocable trust, something that can't be broken. We take those assets, we take them out of your name, we fund it into the trust that we create, and the assets inside of the trust are protected. One of the, uh, <clears throat> one aspect, one rule of the irrevocable trust is that once you put an asset into the trust, you can't get it back out. Within reason, that's the general rule, and really it makes sense just to leave it there because the field can be complicated. But if you put an asset into the trust and you can't get it back into your name, the creditor that you may owe money to, the person that sued you uh, in a lawsuit, that's the predator, 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 that person if you can't get to it, neither can that person. And that's why we, that's the, the aim of asset protection, to protect your hard earned assets. Are there any disadvantages to a trust, to a living trust, either a revocable or, or irrevocable trust? Sure, there's a few disadvantages. I'll give you a couple. I like to emphasize the positives, <laughs> but in this video, I'll give you at least two disadvantages. So once a trust is created, there's paperwork. The trustee, the person that is in charge of um, implementing the rules of the trust has to keep records, income, expenses, 
right, the management of the trust. It's as if you were uh, the keeper of a checking account, the keeper of a bank account, the keeper of a real property. Right? So the, the management functions of a trust. Now, all of those tasks had to be performed anyway. Right? Uh, I'm figuring most people uh, take a look at the checkbook and reconcile it, right? So, uh, and if you have a piece of property, you have to manage it. So it could displace who is performing that function. So in, in an irrevocable trust, the settlor, the maker of the trust is not the trustee. So the trustee now has to perform those functions. Whereas in a revocable living trust, the creator of the trust, the settlor, grantor, that person can be the trustee. So in that instance, not really any downside at all concerning paperwork because the person that's the owner of these uh, different financial instruments or real property has to keep records anyway. And uh, another remarkable uh, item that might be considered a disadvantage of a trust is that it does not eliminate the need for a last will and testament. So the trust, as I said last week, is like a will on steroids. It does everything a will can do and more. It uh, has more range. Um, just it's an overall uh, better document. The reason you still need a will is if the client, the, the person living with a trust, if they inherit property before they pass away and it never makes its way into the trust, well, that has to pass through a will. If they have an asset that has never been properly funded into the trust, it'll pass through a will. So for at least those reasons, you need both a trust and a will and a certain type of will. Right? So, what is a revocable living trust? At its most basic level, it is a will substitute. It's what a will can do and better. A will on steroids, if you will, <laughs> if you will. It's basic level, what will I do with the assets that I own during my life, upon my death or at some other prescribed time? How will I get those assets to who I want them to go to? Either the next generation, a charitable organization, a friend, a relative, and that, that's what a revocable trust is. It's also a document that can be changed over time. The revocable nature of the trust allows it to be changed. It also allows the person that's forming the trust, that's a settlor or a grantor, that person can be their own trustee. So in a revocable trust, it's like a three-party contract. The grantor, settlor, person that made the trust, it's one. The second is the trustee. And the third are the distributees, the beneficiaries, if you will, the people that are going to get something, whether it be a church, a hospital, a charitable organization, a mosque, um, temple, or a person or a relative or an individual. Those are the three people, persons, entities. And in the revocable trust, the grantor can also be the trustee.
that's really it. It's a robust document. It's flexible. Um, it has power both during your life and upon your death. And uh, it's something you shouldn't leave home without. And I will um, give you more information, as I always do. And uh, I have another idea for a video why you should put your home in a trust. Well, that, that'll be a separate video. But in the revocable trust that I'm speaking about, you can put your assets, physical property, like a, a house, condo, um, apartment building, real property. You could put um, assets such as um, uh, cash in the bank, not cash, right, cash, but your cash accounts, like a uh, checking account or a bank account or a money market, and also stock bond brokerage accounts, things like that. If you have any questions about this, please reach out, frankbrunolaw.com.